Hello everyone, I'm Telford Gray from the Sports Union Media Team and I'm hosting episode 2 of the Sports Union Podcast. We've got a very exciting episode today. First up, we're chatting all things Olympic Games with Tokyo 2020 athlete Shona McIntosh and Olympic swimming coach Chris Jones. And then we are joined by our trampoline and gymnastics club as we talk about LGBT plus inclusion. Joining me today is my co-host Bella. Hi, I'm Bella at Sport Edge, the podcast talking all about sport, health, fitness and life, right from the people involved here at the University of Edinburgh and hosted by the Sports Union. Welcome. Uh, today we're chatting to our future Olympian Shona McIntosh and Olympic coach Chris Jones on what Tokyo 2020 means for them. So I'd like to start, uh, Chris, would you be able to do a brief introduction of your sport and background, if you can, please? Yeah, no problem. Uh, yeah, I said, my name's Chris Jones. I'm the head of swimming at the University of Edinburgh. I've been in that position for 12 years now, uh, which is a long time. Uh, a little bit more grey hair since I started it. But uh, yeah, it's a passion of mine. I actually established the programme, the performance. We were the first of the performance sport programmes back in 2008. And I established that in, in consultation with the director of sport then, Jim Aitken, who's still there today. I was a swimmer myself. I wasn't that good. I was okay, but got into the coaching after my swimming career. And I coached in a couple of places in Australia for a while, in Falkirk, worked there for a few years. And then I worked with a program, the City of Edinburgh program, which put swimmers on the 2004 Olympics and 2008 Olympics. And that's when I established the University of Edinburgh program at that time. I've been part of three Commonwealth Games with Scotland, putting athletes on, on the Commonwealth Games since 2010. 2014 and 2018, a couple of years back. We had swimmers swim at the Paralympic Games in 2012. And then in the 2016 Olympics, we had a few athletes that made their respective countries uh, team. Uh, a swimmer from Ireland, Nick Quinn, and a swimmer from Hong Kong, Yvette Manyi Kong, who, who competed in the 2016 Rio Olympics. And obviously, we're looking forward to whatever it may bring this time around. So we're preparing for hopefully some good qualification uh, as we approach this time now. Oh, that's fantastic. You've obviously got a wealth of experience and really passionate about the sport. And was there a moment when you, obviously you swam competitively as well. Was there a moment when you can remember when you're like, oh, coaching's more for me instead, or that's a route that I want to go down on? I mean, it didn't sort of resonate with me straight away. I actually went into a bit of development work, you know, and learned to swim programs. I was quite passionate about that side of it and in terms of the development of the sport. But I started working with a couple of coaches and it was actually my time in Australia that really got the bug for it. I was quite fortunate. I took some time out and thought to go, I need to figure out what I need to do. And the Aussies are extremely passionate about uh, swimming, a uh, very aquatic lifestyle and kind of got the bug from there and you know, came back sort of around, the, around 2006 and sort of got, got really into the coaching there. So there wasn't really one moment. But um, it was kind of over a period of time. And, and ever since then, you know, I've just enjoyed that. Uh, specifically about swimming in Edinburgh. And now, obviously, within the University of Edinburgh, I'm very passionate about that because, as I said, I established the programme way back when in 2008. So it's, it's very important to be on a personal level. Oh, that's fantastic stuff. So Shona, would you like to be able to do a brief introduction of yourself, please? Sure. I'm Shona McIntosh. I'm a rifle shooter. I've actually just joined the student population of the university this year for a master's degree. Currently world number one in women's three positions rifle. I'm world champion in women's prone, um, which is not an Olympic event. Um, I've been to two Commonwealth Games, two European Games, and have just been recently selected for my first Olympic Games. Wow, fantastic stuff. Amazing. I'm deadly excited for that. 
Yeah, I'm super excited. <laughs> to begin, let's play a game of this or that. It's going to be like quick fire if you just shout out your answers. It's all a bit random. So firstly, savoury or sweet? Sweet. Yeah, savoury. Oh. Night in or night out? In. In. <laughs> Arthur's seat or Colton Hill? I've never actually been up Colton Hill, so I'm going to have to say Arthur's seat. <laughs> yeah, same, Arthur's seat. It's classic. Tea or coffee? Tea. Coffee. <laughs> <laughs> TV series or movie? Ooh, both. <laughs> Probably movie for myself. Movie, yeah. Hearts or hips? Ooh, well, my <laughs> my coach I work with is a diehard hips fan, so I better say hips. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea. I, I don't really watch football, I'm afraid. <laughs> a cardio or weights? Weights. Weights, yeah. Morning training or night training? Morning. I'll, I'll probably have to say morning. Spending half my life getting up at. 5.30, so uh, probably morning Ooh. training. <laughs> Olympics or World Championship? I'll be in the Olympics. Yeah, Olympics here as well. <laughs> <laughs> training or competing? I like training. Yeah, training's yeah. fun. I think as a coach, it'd probably be, it'll have to be training because it's part of the process. It's sort of over to the athletes uh, when it comes to competition. So, yeah. That's great. That's yeah. all of those. Seem to agree yeah. on most of those as well. Yeah, right. <laughs> So, Chris, do you enjoy the nerves of watching your athletes compete? In the early days of my coaching, it's um, it, it became a, it was quite tough because you have to learn to pass over the baton to those guys and trust in the athletes that you work with that they're going to be able to do the job. I think you need to look, and I think it just comes with experience. Learn to sit back and let them do the do what they need to do, and you know so. I think in the early days, I did get a bit sort of nervous and maybe overcoached a little bit. You know, we need to do this and that before the before the competition. But, you know, being out in, I was in, in the Gold Coast a couple of years ago at the Commonwealth Games and picked up a few medals and uh, with the guys. And uh, I just, it was just really good to sit back and just enjoy it. Being on such an iconic uh, arena at the time, you know, on the beach in the Gold Coast, outdoor pool, it was amazing. I got pretty sunburned. It's pretty bad for coaches standing <laughs> under the glare yeah. and the, the, the sun, but it was uh, such an experience. But you just, you you just learn to to trust the guys and that's the bit about coaching I really enjoy just getting to know the athletes and getting to know them on a personal level such an intensive sport swimming you know you're with them all the time and you build up quite a strong relationship so yeah I I did get nervous back in the day but today it's it's more about just in you know enjoying the process yeah that's great no doubt end up feeling very proud of them all as well oh yes I mean they get on my nerves as well I'm not gonna lie (laughs) (laughs) um yeah no I am very proud and I've got you know, athletes that I've coached and you become very good friends with them and you stay in touch and to go and see what they do in the career, in the in the future is really good as well. That's amazing. And Fiona, do you have any strategies that you use for in-competition nerves or do you get the butterflies such before an event? Absolutely, yeah, I do. Um, yeah, it's kind of weird. Like I don't, I always kind of describe it to people as uh, I don't really get like nervous in my brain. Um, like I, I wouldn't say I get like anxious or anything, but I definitely like I, um, I get butterflies in my tummy. I do like feel my body get, I guess, starts to feel nervous much before I do. So it's I'm mostly for me, it's like breathing techniques um, and being around people who can like make you laugh. Um, my, my dad's my coach. Um, so me and him, like he always knows what to say. Um, and it's mostly just like daft jokes or whatever to make you laugh oh that's sweet does that mean there's a bit more arguing being related to your coach it's not actually um not between me and him I used to compete with my sister actually and my sister the three of us used to be like a little training group so actually wow a wee bit more arguing between probably rivalry yeah me and him we get on pretty much all the time amazing 
<laughs> is, uh, I'm first of all going to ask you some questions. So, if Sean, if you'd like to go first, how, like, the first moment of what came into your head when you got that email, you got that letter feeling that you were going to the Olympics, what was that like? And it was a lot of relief for me. Um, so, I've been qualified for just over two years, but obviously, like, you don't know for sure that you're going until they tell you for sure that you're going. And um, so, yeah, when they sort of told me over the phone that I was definitely selected. Um, it was it was mostly just relief for me it being like finally being official and, and being able to tell people and, and knowing that um, assuming they go ahead I'm actually on the plane and um, so yeah I guess after the fact I was more like a bit excited once I'd like really thought it through I was kind of like oh my god I'm going um, and it's a lot more exciting than that. <laughs> um, but yeah initially just like relief <laughs> yeah massive dream come true so congratulations thank you <laughs> Uh, Chris, have you ever had to phone athletes and tell them the successful news? Yeah, I mean, both ends of the spectrum. And, and I guess, you know, sits with a, a very much with the, the coach, you know, for, you know, the elation of making a team or, you know, the disappointment of not. So, you know, you've got two hats on regularly as a coach uh, with the athletes that you work with. So I've had both on, on in terms of that spectrum, been able to notify them that unfortunately it's not worked out or, or to be able to be you know happy for them if it has and it's always great when it has but um sometimes you know you have to deal with that as well so you have to keep a fairly level playing field uh, when it comes to that sort of thing so um you know you as a coach you know you're very much and I'm acutely aware of this that you do carry very much the aspirations of your athletes on your shoulders and it's probably the wrong word burden but it's not uh it's, it's not that way you just is you acutely aware of that at the time and uh, you know so it's important to recognize that as well and so that's why the relationships are so important. Uh, and what Shona was saying there, you know, you know, the people, you know, works with the dad. And I know a couple of athletes that have got the dad up as the coach and it can, it can be a massive strength, but also a challenge at times, I'm sure <laughs> she'll say. And, uh, you know, I've got twin daughters, so um, they, they're only five, but if they get into sports, I'm going to, hopefully they pick a sport, a different sport. That's going to be funny. Next one's like, Chris, obviously you've been to the Olympics like, with your athletes and coaching them and making sure they're performance ready. And like, what advice would you give to Shona on a performance level, but as well as on like a memory level as in the international friendships you made, the, the things the public don't see, maybe there's like an, a really good after party or there's really fun board games before the event of the night that people don't really know about? Well, I mean, you know, as an athlete, it's uh, congratulations Shona it's a fantastic achievement uh, you know and, and just I guess the, the bit of advice that I could sort of give to you and I'm sure you've you've heard this before is just to take it all into it very much a massive massive experience and you know in the village life with all the you know who knows what it's going to look like this time around but um, just to appreciate keep your head up head up and you know just enjoy every moment there is all the different things you know to share I remember in 2004 I was over there and I ended up going to um, a speedo kind of party with you know all the brand afterwards and all the swimmers are there at the time so and there was a very young Michael Phelps there um, yeah, wow. uh, being able to sort of mix with some of these guys and just to be around it and you'll have all your heroes that'll be there and the sporting environment people to talk to so I guess the advice would be just to lap it up take it on and just uh, enjoy every minute of it, which is uh, which I'm sure you'll do. I'll do my best. <laughs> <laughs> get your autograph book out. Go around. Yeah. <laughs> I forgot to like mix with other people. <laughs> yeah, I know it's going to be oh, crazy, but um... I'll do my best. <laughs> Shona, what are you most looking forward to? on your experience in the Olympics as well as it's been Japan's obviously a massive culture change to the UK 
there's anything that you've been researching that you want to go see and visit if you're able to have the time? Um, I don't really know. Um, quite a lot of the time, I, I don't really think too much about it because um, we go to the we go to these places and got a job to do. And I guess for me, like my event, I've got one event on the first day, and then my second event's not till a week later. Assuming we get to stay till the end, which actually I'm not sure is, is likely. Um, I was kind of, my family were supposed to be coming out, uh, my mum and Matt. Um, I was kind of just looking forward to spending a bit of time with them um, after the, after my events and after the stress has gone a wee bit. Um, maybe going to see Mount Fuji, I don't know. would have been really cool. But yeah, I don't, don't think that's going to happen this time around. So yeah, really just uh, being in that and like Chris said, kind of absorbing the environment as much as there will be. See what, see what happens. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and Shona how do you stay focused under pressure how do you stay in the zone before you compete and how do you not get overwhelmed it's mostly just breathing for me take a deep breath if you start to feel stressed um (laughs) I'm I'm a fairly like level-headed human being anyway I I was described as pragmatic the other day I'm quite kind of I guess like sometimes it's kind of flat um I think for my sport um I was trying to describe this to somebody else the other day um I think for, for me in my sport that sort of like motivational inspirational stuff that a lot of people use to get in the zone doesn't really work for me you've kind of got a, a yeah for my sport um because you can't have your heart rate coming up too much you can't really be it be in that sort of like oh zone you just gotta like stay flat and um, so yeah just kind of ticking along take each day as it comes yeah it's not very complicated for me i'm afraid <laughs> Simple as that, that, just take a deep breath. (laughs) Is that a large part of your training, Shona, would you say? is How much percentage would you say is physical to mental training that you do? Um, So I do a bit of physical training, um, like in the gym or or running or whatever. And then obviously I do my like normal sports stuff. But I guess I would say... For the like shooting specific training, I I would say it's probably like 70% mental and 30% physical. Um, obviously, what you see from the outside is all physical, but there's a lot of sort of stuff that you've got to, as athletes and coaches together, you've got to figure out how to how to sort of work that in your brain and stuff. So yeah, I'd get probably somewhere between 60 and 70% mental. Sharon, do you mind if I ask a question? Yeah, go. What sort of, can you delve into a bit the techniques that you use? Because um, I'm interested myself in some of the kind of mental preparation that you do, like whether it be in competition, or you go into sort of, sort of meditation techniques and things like that to keep you on an even keel. You know, what sort of things do you do as part of your training and how much of it would you do on a kind of a weekly basis? So we spend quite a lot of time, um, like, I, I don't really know if there's terms for it, um, but if I'm sort of in position, um, really like internalising your sort of attention um, to really like work out um, it's a bit of proprioception I guess um, trying to sort of learn your positions and how they feel so that they're replicable so we spend a lot of time like internalizing attention that that's not how always how we shoot um, it kind of it does have to go back out the way again but yeah um, we spend a lot of time like learning the sort of inner we call it the inner feeling that's probably most of what I do actually is, is learning that sort of stuff I would do a lot of work with headspace I'm assuming you know the app um, yeah, and a lot of time using headspace trying to learn those sorts of techniques and so yeah it's, I guess it starts off with breathing techniques is how you learn um, in the meditation a lot of people start off with with sort of breathing and learning how to learning to focus on your breath and I guess it's similar techniques but it's learning how to focus on the feeling and learning what the feeling is that you're trying to focus on don't know if that makes any sense <laughs> no absolutely it's just really interesting because in swimming you know adrenaline is part of it but you can always boil over so you're trying to find that happy medium between being having the butterflies and having the adrenaline there without it sometimes over spilling and, and maybe being too aggressive in a race and you know dying off so you, you still gotta have an element of control in your kind of 
your mental preparation to to stay on a, on an evening kill. Obviously, not as much as as your sport, but yeah. being able to sort of keep it keep it in mind. Yeah, it's interesting. It's kind of difficult with swimming as well because it's not like you can take deep breaths if you need cabin. <laughs> yeah. You run out of air. Is there any advice you give your uh, pupils, Chris, then about staying calm before a competition or anything? You, you do. I mean, you 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 kind of work. It all comes to experience again. So you know, you you learn your athletes and what sort of motivates them and what sort of the the triggers. You know, some athletes are very good and they won't let on anything at all. But then they get to the event and maybe it just all becomes a bit too much. Whereas you know, some some athletes are quite vocal about what they or they need to do a certain routine to make sure they get into that place from the warm up and then they go and do a little bit of poolside medicine ball or workout just to make sure they're in a good place and physically feel blood's flowing and, and everything's good. So it depends every, every or oh, they listen to music. That's another one, you know, uh, just to, might be, but it might not be sort of tempo music, might be just calming music, just keep them, keep them chill so they can react when they go off the block. So yeah, there's a variety of different techniques, but you kind of work with athletes to help them find their, their own preparation best suits them yeah i bet it differs like mindfulness is probably something we use quite a lot and more to like teach you where you your brain should be i guess a lot of the mindfulness techniques sort of i guess you learn through doing them and where your sort of optimum is so yeah we do a bit of that as well yeah that's a great tool no that's a great tool we've used that yeah very good I, used, I started yoga a long time ago just for life in general um, and actually I would sort of started it for, for physical training it's a sort of sort of me out but actually I find a lot of the, the mental stuff with yoga way more useful for sport than I than I ever thought would happen or that anybody else actually in shooting nobody had met, ever mentioned it to me before um, and yeah. I'm like use this <laughs> yeah. yeah no yoga we get the guys part of our training program now for movement and mobility but also yeah the yin kind of part of yoga is very good it's quite funny the coaches went in one day and they're like right let's start moving oh it was awful i was in so much pain the next day <laughs> i think my dad would be like that if i got him to do yoga <laughs> <laughs> if you say you do yoga is there any kind of mantras or anything you've heard through that that gets you inspired mostly just breathing <laughs> again breathing. <laughs> breathing yeah don't yeah. forget to breathe <laughs> yeah and again, like if you're sort of feeling overwhelmed about stuff and um, whatever that may be, like if you're a student and you're overwhelmed with academia or if you're a sport or um, like anything um, is always like bring your attention back to your breath. And it always kind of brings you like back to yourself instead of sort of worrying about external factors and things. That's really interesting. Yeah. Uh, how about you, Chris? Have you ever come across any mantras or do you have any words of wisdom for your pupils you give them? <laughs> My athletes get a bit tired of me. I'm, I'm a massive, um, you know, the Rocky series, you know, the thing. So I, I always pick out these really cheesy quotes <laughs> and I start like, I, I repeat them and they go, eyes oh, on a Rocky move again. But it brings a bit of lightheartedness to it, um, to what we do. But no, I mean, you know, we joke around with stuff like that. But I think, you know, as long as athletes are honest with themselves and they're honest about what the needs are, what they need to do, then I think it's just keeping everything clear and concise and you can have a really strong relationship with them. And, uh, you know, that's what I've tried to do is just be honest with them and uh, be there for them if they need me, and whether that be in life or with the needs of the sport. And I just try and keep as even keel as I can at the moment. Mind you, this recently has pushed me, you know, I'm trying to homeschool two five-year-olds, trying to do my job and all the rest of the things that are going on in the world. So it's pretty challenging. <laughs> 
just pushed me to the edge. I'm going to ask next is along that kind of note, do you have any kind of superstitions you have to do before competitions, Shona? Not anymore. I used to have a, a couple, I guess they weren't really superstitions, but things I would always, always do. I used to, like I wear old socks all the time, but I discovered a while ago that I couldn't wear old socks to shoot in because they <laughs> different feeling on each foot depending on the sock. Um, of course you do. <laughs> yeah, and I've got to wear matching socks so that I've got the feeling. So I guess it's sort of a superstition given that I always wear odd socks other than shooting and wear matching <laughs> or shooting. Um, I don't know if that's... I would cool. definitely say that's a superstition. <laughs> That's probably my only weird quirk. <laughs> Did you have any when you were competing, Chris? Uh, something that I sort of, I met my wife years ago now, uh, you know, when I was still swimming. Uh, and um, back then, she, every time I'd go to a competition, she'd buy me a certain type of biscuit. <laughs> and uh, it sounds silly. Like, so she'd say, oh, good luck at the competition. Here's a, these biscuits. And, and then even though going into, if now I'm coaching, I still get those biscuits today. So and that's been happening now. I've been coaching for almost 20 years, which is hard to believe. But uh, so, yeah, we've been doing the biscuit thing a lot. I need to work on that. Probably need to change it to fruit or something. (laughs) What biscuits are they? That's so good. Well, they're just like, I don't know if you remember those like little sort of animal biscuits with a little chocolate on. So, yeah, it was just a bit silliness, but we've kept it going over the years. It's quite funny. But uh, like I said, it's not good for my waistline. I probably need to change it. We use penguins. I get penguin biscuits in training. Um, like over a certain score, I get penguin biscuits. Like a, yeah, I've done the same with athletes. It's like some athletes that's not gone well, or there's been tears and stuff. It's been a running joke. One of my athletes, uh, she had, she got married a few years ago, and always she used to get upset with certain things. I'd get her some biscuits, and uh, as part of a wedding present, I've gave her some biscuits, and she was like loving it. So. <laughs> Oh, that's great. <laughs> Here's more of a fun one. If you two were, could you two swap sports potentially? Do you think you could shoot Chris and do you think you could swim Shona? No. <laughs> <laughs> I just certainly answer. don't have the temperament. You know, I wouldn't be able to keep my um, emotions in check. I've just, you know, there's a lot of training that goes into that. I just, just, I'd be all over the place. I'd be pretty dangerous, to be honest with you, I think. <laughs> Yeah, I I can swim. Um, I wouldn't say I can swim well at all. I'm not very fast. I was scared of the water for a long time. I well, I did train as a lifeguard when I was at school, but my lifeguard uh, certificate thing has lapsed. But yeah, I don't think I could be an Olympic swimmer. Definitely not. <laughs> I'm not nearly broad enough. <laughs> I mean, they're quite different sports. <laughs> I don't know if that would help. I do have big slippers. <laughs> I have to ask as well, Shona, uh, how did you even get into rifle shooting? It's a bit of a family uh, family business for me. So both of my parents <laughs> shot at the university when they were, I guess, my age um, or even younger than I am now. It's a weird thought. Um, my, my, my dad actually started when he was about 12 up in Elgin, where he grew up. My granddad used to shoot at his local club. So that it's, it's kind of come back a few generations. And then my sister, um, she's five years older than me. She's been to two Olympics already. She's now retired. But yeah, when she went to the Olympics in London, I went down with my mom and watched her and was kind of like, oh, this is way more interesting than I gave it credit for. <laughs> Can I do this now? Um, so wow. I started, yeah. Yeah, I really didn't want to do it before. I was kind of like, nah, this is Jen's thing. It's kind of boring. I'm not interested. (laughs) Make my own path or whatever it was. Yeah. Yeah, I saw it down in London. I was like, this is way more interesting. I want to do this. (laughs) And like, with a rifle shooting, obviously you mentioned your older sister is four years older. She's retired now from the sport. Do you see yourself following a similar path or does rifle shooting have like a longevity career or not really? 
It can do, yeah. We've still got a few people competing. One guy is nearly 60, if not already 60, I'm not quite sure. Um, he's probably our oldest competitor who's still like really high, high level. It, it can have longevity. Not everybody does it. Some people retire early, like Jen. I'm not really sure where, where it's going to take me. I certainly obviously want to go to Tokyo. I'm probably go to Paris or, or at least try to go to Paris and then yeah I don't, I don't know where where my life will take me after that I might keep going I might not I guess it just depends I'd really like to sort of work in industry I'm, I'm an engineer by by trade I guess I'd like to work in industry at some point um, even if that turns out that I hate working <laughs> like everybody keeps telling me um, jobs are boring but I'd at least like to like have the experience and know for sure whether that's something for me or not but before I like decide whether to to quit or not yeah that's amazing you've got that flexibility and you've got a really really good path in mind so well done you thank you (laughs) and as a for both of you so Chris if you want to go first like if you didn't do swimming what other sport or career could you see yourself doing good question uh Getting into the coaching world and, and swimming, you you start to have a look at that. So I start looking at m- what my body type is, and you know I, I love football, but I, I was never very good at it. You know what? I think I, I think in, I would have been pretty good in some of the combat sports, so perhaps judo or you know or taekwondo or something like that. And I think I would have probably enjoyed all that side of it. And I do enjoy watching those sports at the Olympics and things like that so I think I would have liked to have a go at maybe a judo or something like that ah, amazing and with that is do you feel people are genetically born in like one way and people are more naturally suited to one one or two sports than others or do you feel anyone can train to a high level at a certain type of sport or do you feel there's always a limiting factor there yeah it's a good again really good question I think there's there's examples to suit both sides uh you see it all the time but if you take the sport of swimming and you look at the guys that really changed the world like uh, Michael Phelps or Ian Thorpe and you look at their genetic credentials <laughs> then you would say you know that that has to come into it in terms of it part but there are examples the other way where, you know, you'll get a, a smaller uh, athlete that goes on and does something really, really good. The, the woman that won the last Olympics and the 50 freestyle sprint, she's not necessarily a tall swimmer, she's techni- technically amazing. And uh, she went on and did that. So there's evidence to sort of back each element up. And I think if you, you work hard enough and you do what you need to do, then there's no reason why you can't, uh, no matter what your, your genetics uh, show you. But yeah, it does certainly add to it though excellent insight there thank you and Shona if you didn't do rifle shooting what would you say your other sport would be that you'd be really passionate about yeah I don't know um I also quite like the the sort of combat sports and um, I'd love to give judo a try on pain of death am I allowed to try it before the Olympics though <laughs> <laughs> I think I, I, I do like the idea of the combat sports I think they're really like fascinating and um, I think the sort of mental aspect to them is quite similar to what I do but I also really like rock climbing when I was younger I, d- I didn't like rock climbing's obviously only just come into the Olympics this year and I didn't really do it a lot when I was younger and um, my dad took me a few times yeah if I think if I'd known it was going to be an Olympic sport then I absolutely would have done it a lot more I think it's really really cool it's really fun I'm kind of like you're you were just talking about like physical attributes I'm kind of in some ways fit, uh, like fit to do cl- uh, rock climbing I guess like I'm kind of long limbs and I'm quite flexible in, in some ways so I've got a long reach but I'm not necessarily fit enough to do things like swimming <laughs> I guess so yeah rock climbing would be cool and Shona you're a student at Edinburgh right yeah uh, how do you balance your training with 
student life sometimes with difficulty (laughs) (laughs) yeah no it's just about organization I guess and you've just got to be like super organized it helps to have the support of your lecturers and and that I get I had that as well in my my undergrad yeah it's it's being really organized and being well prepared if you need to have discussions about I've got a class assignment due this day but I'm at a competition it's having those discussions really early about whether you hand it in early or whether you get an extension and hand it in late just being really prepared about things like that and knowing it's difficult sometimes because obviously you don't know your timetable for uni until you pretty much get there whereas normally for me everything would be planned at least a month in advance if not further and so sometimes you've just got to be be adaptable I think it's something I've grown to be really good at is is adaptability but yeah just like being really organized and having good communication as well with your lecturers being polite but also being like I need you to help me with this things like that yeah that's great have they helped you a lot elite lecturers with your performance sport they certainly have (laughs) but I have to say I can't really say much about the Edinburgh lecturers at the moment unfortunately fortunately unfortunately I'm not sure and they haven't really had to deal with me so far (laughs) (laughs) but yeah certainly for my undergrad I had a lot of support um, from from my lecturers um, specifically yeah great Chris how do you find coaching at Edinburgh University I love it you know you learn so much I've been in Edinburgh myself for uh, I moved up in the late 90s so so yeah I've been I've been in Edinburgh for a long time and I love the city the university took me on and you know it's not lost on me or the people I work with that I guess the the international recognition of Edinburgh is you know it's uh, such a world-renowned university so uh, yeah it's, it's fantastic and, and has shown a sort of highlight there I mean I've worked with different athletes that study different things from medicine to engineering to sports to maths to business. And so you get to know, communicate with lecturers and stuff. And I found them all to be really supportive when when you can explain exactly what you're looking for. But Shona's right. You know, what you find is that it's real strong academics, but the people that come and the athletes that do that are, are organized because they have to be. So when they go in and, and speak to the, the med- medical degree, you know, tutors to be able to look to reassign, you know, handing dates because they've got competition or training or something conflicts, then you seem to have a real sense of being, you know, managing that time, but also being um, highly organized. But and it's something that bodes well as you go through, you know, when you're going through an interview against, you know, thousands of other people and you can pull out your sport and how organize and manage your time and successful you were in sport but also to go on and do a, a degree at the same time it shows characteristics that bodes well for any employer so now i found it brilliant and it's really i've enjoyed every i'm enjoying every minute of it still to this day to be able to work in the in the university sector is brilliant fantastic would you say you have a a role model in sport or business or political world that's made you strive to reach success that's a good uh, yeah I think it changes from uh, from time to time you know certainly within the sport I've coaches that I work with that have uh, sometimes not in the sport gone on have had a massive influence on my career uh, as an athlete but also definitely as a coach you know I look around and you see see some of the things especially what's happening on the world today where people are doing phenomenal things within the NHS or whether it be uh, in, in research and you're just like these guys are just phenomenal what they do and you know sport it takes a lot of dedication to train and do what then you look at what these guys coming up with vaccines and rolling it out and you're just in awe of what they're doing at the moment so I think it just changes in society and, and what's happening in the world uh, at that time but from a sporting point of view, you know, uh, within my sport, the coaches I've worked with have had a massive, massive influence on on me personally. Yeah, thank you. Sure, now would you like to go? Yeah, um, 
I, I guess the same sort of thing and um, there's there's lots of people I guess I've taken inspiration from over the years and um, my sister's been a, a major influence on me for better or worse I suppose I, she would say the same I guess uh, Catherine Granger actually has um, been a really big source of inspiration for me and um, not just like obviously she's one of the greatest sportswomen we've ever produced as a country but also I think her like academic stuff she's she's got a PhD um, as well as her five Olympic medals and I'm kind of like when it certainly when I was undergrad I really took a lot of inspiration from that academia is something that's really like important to me it's something I'm quite passionate about and yeah it's sort of having a role model that's been able to do both and being able to balance both I think has been really helpful for me and play there'll be some kids younger than younger than me I guess who can look to me and her I guess in the future not just me I think there's a lot of, like there's a lot of people like me I guess who are sort of dual career athletes these days um, but I think she's really led the way on that being an inspiration to a lot of people in, in my situation we'd all love a PhD and five gold medals with me <laughs> <laughs> Just lastly, we're creating like a sport ed music playlist and we are looking for each podcast interviewee to come up with their favourite hype song before competition, before training, something to get some in the mood. So Chris, if you'd like to go first. I'm not sure you're going to want to hear my answer, to be honest with you. I'm a, I'm a huge metalhead, so I've got some pretty heavy music that I listen to or have done. So wow. We want a diverse playlist. Yeah, um, I'll try and keep it... Uh, safe um let's let's go with go with metallica and uh it's a pretty easy one let's go fade to black by metallica good choice lovely <laughs> and Sean, as you like to go mine's just as eclectic in a slightly different way we listen to a lot of stuff uh, in the range um someone we had on earlier was dignity by deacon blue <laughs> oh, nice. yeah we also listen to quite a lot of ultra box i don't know <laughs> old school yeah <laughs> dad's yeah, dad's influence there. Uh, to be fair, I really I listen to his music anyway. Like uh, even if he wasn't there, that's what I'd listen to. But yeah, it's definitely his influence. Uh, that's good to hear. Is music a big part of your training? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so they've um, the sport historically has been quite like uh, kind of similar to golf, I guess, um, where they kind of try and get you to be really like really quiet um, while people are shooting, so as not to distract the shooters. But they've uh, they've kind of changed that in the last I don't even know ten years, I guess. Um, they've kind of changed it and tried to make it a lot more spectator friendly. So now they like blast out the tunes while we're shooting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's pretty good. So yeah, we train with music all the time, so get used to that sort of thing. It's quite good. Although every now and again, a tune comes on that you want to sing along to, and you're like, no, you don't. <laughs> Focus. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I bet that's such a distraction. That's good. I'll be singing along. Like, do you get to plan your playlist for your competition, or is it literally what the competition's music has on the day? What the competition has um, on the day. They did, um, the ISSF's the international body for shooting. They did at some point try and make like a official ISSF playlist, but it, it didn't last very long before they were suddenly like, oh, but then we have to keep updating it. Um, so they just, uh, yeah, they just end up letting, letting whatever comp- uh, competition, like the organizers of each competition run their own music. So you can get some <laughs> really, really weird playlists, <laughs> especially when you're in other countries. You get music that you wouldn't normally hear, I guess, in your own charts and stuff, which is actually quite interesting, I, I find. At least you won't sing along to those ones then. Exactly. <laughs> I was, uh, I was talking to a friend of mine and we swam in the same era, sort of, sort of the back end of the nineties. And it was a different problem back then. You know, you couldn't fit the contraption that you were listening to into your pocket. Um, <laughs> so you were walking around with like a portable CD thing, you know, and a lot of the, a lot of the swimmers today or, 
uh, athletes today won't even know what that is, you know. <laughs> so I'm talking to them about like problems. There's no like Bluetooth or anything that then. So you had these these wires coming out, and you know, every, everywhere. It just wasn't very practical at all. And you get frustrated putting the CDs in. You carry about 20 CDs with you just to uh, to play. So there was no phones with music on back then. So it's quite funny. Uh, look at uh, looking back. <laughs> yeah, it's changed so much. <laughs> <laughs> Showing my age a bit now. <laughs> I used to borrow my mom's discman yeah, when I was little. Oh yeah, discman. Yeah, it, they only had one disc. <laughs> yeah, that's had it. yeah. And if you wanted to change it, I'd get get through the CDs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's great. And your song recommendations were great. So thank you guys so much for joining us on Sport Ed. It's been great talking to you. Thank you for giving us your time. No, no problem. <laughs> All the best, Shona, with your preparations. Thank you very much. You too. <laughs> yeah, cheers. Good luck. Cheers, guys. Thanks a lot. If you liked our jingle, then you'll love Chameleon Lady. You can listen to all their hits on Spotify and you can find them on Instagram at Chameleon Lady Official. Next up, it's two-minute trivia and we have Bella from the Gymnastics Club and Megan from the Trampolining Club. Each episode, we're inviting two guests to answer as many questions as they can in two minutes to claim the prize on our leaderboard. Last episode, Lucy and Dave from Sport and Exercise battled it out and scored the beat as Lucy's, which was free. Edinburgh Uni student Peter Sorkins was Bake Off winner, but what club is he president of? Is it of? Um, badminton? Who was fired as manager of Chelsea FC? Pass. <laughs> How many world championships has Simone Biles won? Three. Lewis Hamilton is F1 champion, but who does he race for? No clue. <laughs> what round did Dustin Poirier knock out Conor McGregor? Second. What Edinburgh student partnered Tom Daly in synchronised diving? Ass. St David's the 1st of March, but which UK nation is it for? Scotland. What is popular coffee van next to the main library called? Is it the Tuck Tuck Track? How many points did Wales beat Scotland by in men's Six Nations? Two. How many Grand Slams has Andy Murray won? Two. <laughs> Edinburgh has hosted the Commonwealth Games twice. What's the name of the stadium? Bass. <laughs> Next time we're going to do uh, this or that. So we have savoury or sweet? Sweet. Night in or night out? Right now, I would say night out. <laughs> Normally, probably night in. Arthur Seat or Calton Hill? Calton Hill. Tea or coffee? Tea. TV series or movie? Series. Hearts or hips? There are two football teams in Edinburgh. The first one, because I don't know them. <laughs> Cardio or weights? Ah, uh, weights. Morning training or night training? Night training. Olympics or world champs? Ah, uh, Olympics. Just because I'm Greek. <laughs> <laughs> training or competing? I'm not competitive, so tr- as in not a competitive gymnast, so I'll say training. Okay, that's great. Thank you. Ready, Megan? As I'll ever be. (laughs) 
Edinburgh uni student Peter Sawkins was Bake Off winner, but which club is he president of? Uh, badminton. Who was fired as manager of Chelsea FC? Pass. How many world championships has Simone Biles won? Four. Lewis Hamilton is F1 champ, but who does he race for? Mercedes. What round did Dustin Poirier knock out Conor McGregor? <laughs> what Edinburgh student partnered Tom Daly in synchronised diving? Oh, I know that. No. St David's was on the 1st of March, but which UK nation is it for? Wales. What is the name of the popular coffee van next to Main Library called? Uplands Roast. How many points did Wales beat Scotland by in the men's six nations? Um, three points. How many Grand Slams has Andy Murray won? God. Seven. Edinburgh has hosted the Commonwealth Games twice. And what's the name of the stadium? Pass. <laughs> How many hills does Edinburgh famously have? That's three. That's time up. <laughs> you did great. Megan, savoury or sweet? Savoury. Night in or night out? Night out when we can have them. I think we're all like that at the moment. Fingers crossed. Arthur Seat or Calton Hill? Uh, Arthur Seat. Fun. Tea or coffee? Tea. TV series or movie? TV series. Hearts or hips? Oh, I'm, I'm not an Edinburgh supporter. Um, hearts. I like I like your choice there. Cardio or weights? Uh, cardio. <laughs> Morning training or night training? Night training. Olympics or world champs? Olympics. Training or competing? Training. Brilliant. So I'll go over your answers first, Stella. So for the first question, you said badminton, and you you, you were right. Uh, number two, you you didn't know it's Frank Lampard, and that was the same as Megan. Megan didn't know. And for question three, it is twenty-five. Lewis Hamilton is F one champ, but who does he race for? It is Mercedes. Only because one of the girls from Trampoline loves Formula One, and it's always on her Instagram story. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, number five, what round did Dustin Poirier knock out Conor McGregor? It, it was the second round. So well done to you, Stella. You got that one right. Thank you. I totally, totally said it by chance. <laughs> or for the second one, it is Grace Reed. I don't know that name. I've <laughs> never heard it before. Uh, num- number seven uh, is Wales. It is a national day. It was on the 1st of March. Uh, number eight, what is the name of the popular coffee van next to the main library called? You were really close, Stella. Well, it is. Not tuk-tuk. It is Upland's Roast. Yeah, because that's not a coffee one, but I didn't remember what the coffee one was called. So I was like, let's go for a truck. (laughs) (laughs) Pretty hard to know because I can't bother to queue there for like three hours. (laughs) How how many points did Wales beat by Scotland? It was one point. It was 25-24. So you were both wrong in that, sadly. So close. <laughs> you are really close, though. I'll give you that. I watched that match as well. Yeah, it was shocking. <laughs> shocking. <laughs> and how many Grand Slam has Andy Murray won? He has won three. So, Megan, you got this one right. Stella, you were really close with two. And, Megan, you said seven. Overestimating him. <laughs> Shame on him. Yeah. He's he just won, won seven. <laughs> He has won two gold medals, though. Edinburgh's hosted the Commonwealth Games twice. What's the name of the stadium? It's Meadowbank Stadium, which is getting renovated just now. That will hopefully be open by the end of this year. I didn't realise it was Meadowbank is where they had it. Yeah. It was, I could think of it was the Commonwealth Pool next to Pollock, and I was like, I can't just say the Commonwealth Stadium. <laughs> <laughs> and how many hills does Edinburgh famously have? It has seven. Beautiful. Good for Edinburgh. 
So congratulations to Megan. You have went way in front in the leaderboard of a, a whooping total of seven. Oh, wow. Congratulations, wow. congratulations Megan. Thank you. <laughs> Purely by luck. And Stella, uh, you still beat last week's record, so you got four, so it's a respectable figure. So congratulations to yourself too. Thank you. Thank you. I'm very proud. I managed to beat something. <laughs> That's ahead of both Lucy and Dave from last week, so you guys are winning. Wow. So <laughs> proud. Would you like to introduce yourself and what club you're from? Would Megan, would you like to go first? Yeah. Hi. So I'm Megan. I'm a fourth year and I am from the trampoline club. And Stella, would you like to introduce yourself? Um, hi, I'm Stella. Uh, I'm from the gymnastics club and I'm in second year. So how did you get into these sports? Were you, was this purely at university or did you participate in these sports prior to uni? I did something um, whilst I was at home when I was like still in high school and just caught the bug for it. I think I'd been to like one or two training sessions and I was like, this is it. This is my sport. This is what I want to do. And then since coming to uni, yeah, have absolutely gotten hooked on it. Ended up doing committee this past year, so it has been an incredible experience. Uh, amazing stuff. Do you see yourself continuing with trampolining after university as well? Yeah, I'd like to. Um, I think I'd like to go on and do coaching qualifications as well, so I can kind of give to other people what's been given to me and stuff like that. I think it could be really rewarding. Yeah, I'd imagine so. Stella, you, what about yourself? Um, so I... I was doing gymnastics for quite a few years before um, going to uni. I was never a competitive gymnast, but still, um, I got to a decent enough level and I loved it. So when I came to uni and I found out, oh, look, there's a gymnastics club, I just immediately <laughs> joined and I knew I would stick around. It's my second year in the club. I also ended up um, being in the committee um, this past year we just had our AGM um, yeah it's been amazing and I love it and I will stick around for my entire degree most likely. <laughs> well, congratulations you both get both getting on the committee uh, would you like to say what your positions are on it? Yeah so I am the outgoing community and welfare officer so I've been doing that role for the past year and have just handed over to or I'm about to hand over to a new member. And it's been a really, really great experience. It's been really interesting to do it during coronavirus in particular, because we've had to have a real shift in focus to like trying to do more for mental health for students, because it is so hard. I mean, everybody already knows this. It's so hard to do a degree online. And um, we all signed up for a certain experience and we didn't get it. So trying to build that sense of club spirit and look out for one another all over Zoom and Facebook. It's been challenging, but definitely interesting. And equally rewarding as well that you've managed to work so hard in challenging times. So that will put you in good stead for the future. Yeah, thank you. It definitely has been incredibly rewarding. <laughs> on, a, on a very similar note, I'm the outgoing fundraising and social secretary at the gymnastics club. So uh, when it comes to building kind of club spirit and trying to have a social space when social interaction is basically a crime at this point um it's been it's been quite um quite a challenge but also really nice to be able to at least give the people that are willing to join this space where they can 
have a chat and have some fun with friends. So yeah, it's been really cool. Looking forward to see what the new people are going to do with the social social space. Um, seeing yeah. as we still have many many restrictions. And do you feel you'll still be helping out the new social secretary from like next year as well? I've I've told. Oh, you just got that, yeah. Uh, I I'll I'll be around to help. I just um, handed over. It's just that I didn't. It, it's been a bit of a stressful year, so I wanted to take a break from committees since I was on two. Oh, two. <laughs> um, okay. So I I kind of wanted to break from that, but I've told both the club and the society respectively that um, I'll be around to help with anything they need. Obviously, I'm not leaving gymnastics, so easy access to me <laughs> if they need it. <laughs> that's that's great to hear. With LGBTQ and plus and history month has just gone, and you may have not seen Fraser or LGBTQ plus inclusion officer take over Instagram to share history, educational resources and advice. How important do you think inclusion is? Any ways that you think we could like, improve it as well within our university? Yeah, I think inclusion is an incredibly important thing. I mean, I'm somebody who is very open about their sexuality and does identify as bisexual. And trampoline has been like my, my sports club has been my safe space for everything sexuality and so walking through the doors at Pleasance and knowing that none of that matters that nobody in my club is any differently of me that it will never be an issue for my friends I think it was very much my coming out to my like pals at, in my club it was a it was a throwaway comment you know it was a oh so got a boyfriend no I'm not really interested in that oh okay cool like that was it for me and it really does I don't think people realize how much it plays in the back of your mind and that worry till it's out there and then you get that that weight that's lifted off of your shoulders when you realise, oh, this isn't going to be an issue. Oh, I, I am safe here because it can be your physical safety. It's not just a mental thing. It, unfortunately, for some people, it can lead to very dangerous situations. Um, so I definitely think inclusivity in sport is so, so important, especially when you then look at how important sport is for mental health and how it promotes all aspects of well-being. I think that the sports union actively gets behind the Rainbow Laces campaign is fantastic. I remember walking into training sessions as a first year and seeing all the older members and returning members with Rainbow Laces and being like, oh, OK, this is a safe space here. This is a this is a good place to be. This is where I want to be. Definitely, definitely makes a big impact, especially for newer, newer and younger members. That's, that's amazing to hear. And it just shows that you're happy and you can just be you as you. And you've met your type of people within your club as well who all collectively love each other for who they are so yeah definitely big i think if any club that has good team spirit is going to support all of their members and sometimes it's just nice to have that subtle little way of showing them it doesn't need to be a grand gesture you know the rainbow laces um is such a easy and simple way of without making a song and dance about it just being like this is this is somewhere for you this is somewhere you're welcome definitely helps yeah exactly and to me i guess as a fellow bisexual (laughs) um i guess to me it's like people are entitled to their opinions and their views and I will not take that away from anyone and you know if you don't feel like you fully support the LGBT community that is your right but I would say that as long as that is kept at a respectful level so you don't treat me any differently you don't say things to me that you know are like outright personal attacks you know if you want to say you know i disagree with this part if i disagree with this thing the lgbt community does then you know go ahead i disagree with some things the lgbt community does at times it's it's okay 
but I don't want someone to come up to me and be like, oh, you know, go to hell, you're not welcome here, obviously. And I think it's our responsibility within our clubs and also, I guess, through the sports union very much so to make sure that we maintain this atmosphere of, you know, everyone is welcome in a club. And I think that's really important and really nice to see when it actually works and it's done properly and people feel welcome and people of any kind of background or identity people that disagree should feel welcome too it's just that we keep this disagreement respectful and we both kind of treat each other with respect irrespective of what we think about certain topics and issues and I think that's really nice and important 100% yeah, I totally agree with. At the end of the day, we're all students at the university. Nobody has more of a right to be at a sports club or at a bar or at a union building any more than anyone else. All we ask is that we're not ostracized or looked upon differently just because of who we are in the same way that we don't want to look upon other people differently. We're just we're just trying to live our best lives, have a good time, yeah. make the most of this uni experience. And those small gestures make it easier, the rainbow laces, the respectfully disagreeing. You guys I it getting better as well and unfortunately still work to be done in promoting inclusive inclusivity but do you feel what challenges are ahead or is anything that is central to undertaking like right now would you say um so i know that scotland has passed a rule that in schools lgbt education is compulsory and it's at early levels exposing children to these conversations at a young age means that you don't hit 15 16 17 when kids are beginning to figure out who they are. And it's not a shock. It's not something that's weird. It's not something that's unusual because it's been a common had. And I think that's the main thing that people don't realise. It's not a it's not a taboo to talk about it. And I think that's the fear, the idea is that this isn't appropriate for children to talk about. And it's like, but why isn't it appropriate? Like I can thinking back to primary school, how many playground marriages were there? How many playground crushes were there? It's it really is no different just because the people involved don't look in a way that we're at the core of it doesn't make it any different yeah I think there's a big difference between um exposing younger children to the idea that okay these people exist and that is okay and it's all like that's very different from being like this is you this is what you are you are also a gay person you are also a trans person you are this and this and that and yes a a child that is obviously very impressionable at a younger age could get confused by that but that's not the same as being like well you know these things also exist and these are people in our communities and this is how they live their lives and this is okay and that's that's a good thing to talk about because Yes, LGBT people exist in our communities and they interact with us like any other person would. And it's, there's nothing wrong with that. And I think it's very... I, I remember having a conversation with a teacher in my school um, about presentation of, on the LGBT community that I wanted to do. And she was like, no, we can't do that because this is a bit of a taboo topic now. And I was like, do you agree with it being a taboo topic? And she said, no. I said, okay, how is it going to stop being a taboo topic if we don't talk about it? Wow. Did she let you do it? (laughs) Only for my small class. So it was supposed to be we were all doing presentations for the entire year, but I couldn't do it for the entire year. Uh, But I could do it for my small class, which was a step forward, I guess. God. Do you think those conversations then are happening enough at the uni or do they need to happen more? I guess it really depends because... 
obviously I don't expect my maths lecturer to come to to the lecture and start talking about the LGBT community because that would be ridiculous. But, you know, we have an inclusivity and diversity committee until within the School of Physics and Astronomy, at least we do. Um, I don't know about different schools and these conversations do happen. Um, I think it's just a matter of making sure that everyone is actually physically safe um, within university because you do hear occasionally some very bad stories about things that happen to people, but also that, you know, you're not facing any discrimination. And again, disagreement and discrimination are two very different things. I guess that's what's important to me. Yeah, absolutely. Kind of on the back of progress that has been made, I think a big one was if you're a science student, there was Ashworth laboratories. um, And so the lockers were only ever in the bathrooms and the bathrooms were male and female. And so the, which is an issue if you don't identify with these things or if you don't present in a certain way that makes you feel comfortable using these facilities. It's also wasn't particularly accessible either for disabled students because they were up flights of stairs. So a solution to multiple problems was that Ashworth put lockers in the hallways outside. So now it meant that people who are who are non-binary or who gender and don't particularly feel comfortable using a certain bathroom or students with accessibility, it made it easier for everyone. That That is the kind of the crux of it, is that there is no big thing. We don't need to remove gender science from bathrooms. We just need an alternative option for those that don't fit the status quo. It's not, we're not asking to completely rebuild uni buildings and paint them rainbow colours, you know, it's, it's small changes that make a difference to the people that they impact and it makes going to labs less daunting, it makes it less scary, it makes little things in your day-to-day life just that bit easier um, and I definitely think having talks about it and having discussions is really really interesting as students um, I know that whenever I see emails from lecturers that sign off with their pronouns that's always something that I like to see I'm like oh that means they're willing to have this conversation that means if I'm having an issue with something they're more likely someone that I can talk to and it's again not everyone's going to share those beliefs but making it clear everyone's going to necessarily agree or want to have a conversation but knowing who these people who are willing and who do want to talk to LGBT students and do want to improve their experiences. It's just, I don't know, it's exciting. It's exciting when you get an email through and the lecturer signs off their name, he, him, she, her, them, they. I just think, oh, if I have issues, this is someone who's going to potentially be in my corner. And I think having that kind of safety net behind you does make you just take a kind of a big sigh of relief knowing that there is something there. Well said, yeah. yeah. It's the little things, isn't it? Exactly. It and is. it's a matter, I think it's a matter of like compromise. As, as Megan was saying, you know, it's not about painting the buildings rainbow and removing anything gendered from them. It's about the people that are affected by these things speak up and say, hey, I'm having this issue. And then the people that can fix it, say university administration or anyone else, say, okay, this is what we can do for you and this is what we can't do for you. These are the things, not necessarily we are willing, but also we are able to offer you. And, you know, you find this middle ground and things progress. And it's, it's all about having these discussions and having them without really making huge demands, I guess. It's more about being reasonable and being realistic about what is possible. And I feel like the more easy you are to talk to and reasonable with your like requests and your discussion, the easier it is for the person sitting opposite you to say, okay, this is actually fair and I can definitely do that. So I think it's a win-win. Really. Yeah, and conversations with the uni help that. As students, we don't know what's a feasible thing. There's not really this two. It doesn't feel like there's a very easy two-way conversation between students and the university. So 
to us as students, a change might be really easy and really straightforward. And why isn't the uni doing it? But if we're not getting that clear message back from the university as to why this is a challenge, why we can't have more gender norms, why we can't not have certain speakers coming into the university for reasons X, Y and Z, there needs to be that clear back and forth. So it doesn't just feel like our regard, our concerns are just being completely disregarded by the uni. I think that the thing that upsets most people is we ask the university, can we get this? And we just get shut down with no, we don't get a why. We can't do that right now because we don't have the funding. We can't do that because the timescale of this is unfeasible right now. All of these things are valid reasons for why requests or events can't go ahead. Um, and we are understanding people. You know, we're exactly the same as any other student. It's just that we don't necessarily get treated the same. And so talk to us. I think that is the big conversation helps because having a dialogue about things makes life so much easier as opposed to one-sided screaming matches, which often seems to be the case with yeah, it goes two ways. Yeah. Yeah, and I think it goes to Definitely. both sides. Like we are not just here to judge the university. Like in many cases you might be, you know, when you're promoting such an like an event or a change that would help the LGBT community and you hear no, it's very easy to be like, oh, bec- it's because they're homophobic, it's because they're sexist, it's because they're this and this and that. And you're kind of like looking for it, looking for the homophobia, looking for the sexism. Mm. But sometimes that's just not the case it's because you know these things cannot happen right now and having clearer communication as Megan says kind of solves that problem and then you know okay it's not because they're homophobic (laughs) it's because they are having this issue and this problem and this difficulty with the things we have asked and that kind of makes things easier. Really just wanting to just be in like an open and honest environment where people can be held accountable, but you can also learn of people's reasons for disagreements, which can also help you move forward and promote and campaign for new new issues that need to be addressed. So you're extremely passionate about the subject and offered excellent insights into it. So uh, thank you very much for that. So like, for the next bit, I was just going to go into your... You have a favourite hype song part of the podcast. So this this is a song that gets you into the groove, gets you into the mood to exercise or to study hard. So each each podcast member does a recommendation for for their song. So Stella, do you have a song for us? Um, This is a very difficult question because I don't tend to listen to gym music very much. We have a lovely playlist for the gymnastics club, the absolute bops of gymnastics. Find it on Spotify, <laughs> which is the most random thing in the world. And it has mm. anything from Boris Johnson remix to like death metal to Britney Spears. Um, so anything on that, really, that's that's what um, that's what gets me in the mood for, for things. I would say. So not quite a song. Is your exercise entertaining? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's really, really fun. We always play that playlist whenever we do stuff. Um, and it's always funny because you never know what's coming on next. <laughs> I love <laughs> That's that. That's my thing. <laughs> How about you, Megan? I recently discovered a new artist on Spotify. Um, so I've been really listening to an artist called Apollo Mighty and he has a song called Talk. Um, and it's all about, okay. it's a really good song. I really enjoy that. Does it get you hyped up for exercise? Um. Like the lyrics are like, well, I'll give you something to talk about. And I don't know, I'm kind of like, I like that when it's like, oh, well, if you're going to talk about me anyway, then I might as well give you something to talk about. And that's my like, yeah, get hyped, get ready to go kind of tune. Oh, yeah. Love that. And apologize for yourself. Big main character vibes. What it's all about. <laughs> yeah, so I, I think that's us. Thank so. you so much, guys. That was a really interesting insight. 
Yeah, thank you for kind of giving us this platform to talk about this. It's a nice, different way of doing it. I think it's really cool. A huge thanks to Chris Jones, Shona McIntosh, Stella Antona Giannaki and Megan Davies for joining us today. And thank you for listening in to Sports Ed Episode 2. We'll chat again with you soon. Bye.